Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. Where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. I'm Ace Edwards, right alongside, virtually, Connor Doss is over. And today, we're going to be doing the preview for the long-anticipated Black Friday matchup between your Kansas State Wildcats and the much-maligned Horns Downs from Austin, the Texas Longhorns. And let's just dive right into their 2020 stats. As usual, uh, actually, we should probably address the elephant in the room. We're not in the same room. Uh, Connor left a few days early to be with his family, and I am lame, so I stayed up here. So, <laughs> And somebody also forgot their mic, and somebody might be me. So Maybe, but that's neither here nor there. Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll take their, their offensive stats. They're a seven and three team with a five and three conference record last year with 1,953 rushing yards at 5.3 per attempt, 20 rushing touchdowns as a motorcycle goes by, 2,801 passing yards, 8.12 passing yards per attempt, five interceptions, a completion percentage of 60.3, 32 passing touchdowns, a third down percentage of 37.31, 23 sacks allowed. 42 points per game with a total of 420 points total. So they were a pretty good offense, all things considered, last year under Tom Herman. And then they got rid of Tom Herman to get the hot new hire in Steve Sarkeesian. But you have the 2020 defensive statistics. Yeah, so defensively in 2020, they gave up 28.5 points per game for a total of 285 points against them. Passing yards, they gave up 2,664 through the air, 17 touchdowns. On the ground, they gave up 1,402 rushing yards and 16 rushing touchdowns. Red zone, they were 26 of 49 interceptions. They got 10 of them. They also accrued eight fumbles, 17 sacks, and a turnover differential of nine. So, like, defensively, I mean, they gave up a lot of passes yards but i mean it was it, it wasn't the worst that we've ever seen but it also was not particularly great yeah no in terms of who they're bringing <clears throat> in terms of who they're bringing back from last year's squad they're bringing back their leading rusher and probably what would have been the all-conference pick for running back in competition with Brees hall this year if he didn't get hurt Bijan robinson bringing back their leading receiver joshua moore Juwan Mitchin, a linebacker who's their leading tackler. DeMarvion Overshone, their linebacker who's the INT leader and number one in passes defense, which is rare for a linebacker. They brought back Chris Brown, the defensive back who's tied with Overshone for passes defense. Then they brought back a defensive back, Deshaun Jamison, who was second in passes defense. And in terms of who they lost, Connor has you. Yeah, they lost Sam Ellinger, the starting QB, led the team in rushing touchdowns. He was drafted to the Indianapolis Colts. And then they also lost on Brennan Eagles, their second leading wide receiver. He was picked up on the free agent market in the NFL. They also lost Samuel Cosme, their starting tackle. He was also drafted. Joseph Osai, linebacker, he was their sack leader. He also got drafted. Taquan Graham, a defensive end, was drafted. And then Caden Stearns, a cornerback, also got drafted. So quite a bit of talent departing Texas, which per usual, they're a very talented squad always. It's just a matter of what they do with that talent, but they did lose quite a bit. Yeah. And you can see that looking at their 2021 schedule, 
where it started off against with a victory against a rake team in the University of Louisiana Lafayette, home of a famous Bo <laughs> I had to reference it at some point. They won that game 38 to 18. <laughs> followed by a loss against Arkansas 21 to 40. Then they won against Rice. They rattled off three victories in a row against Rice, Texas Tech, and TCU, and then proceeded to lose six straight against Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Baylor, Iowa State, Kansas, Wamau, and then West Virginia. It's worth noting that they lost to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and KU all at home. So home has not been a very good home for them this year. And in terms of 2021 statistics, they have a record of four and seven with a two and six conference record. We'll flip responsibilities. I realized I messed up. (laughs) 2,182 rushing yards at 5.3 per attempt. 2,533 passing yards at 7.9 per attempt, 28 passing touchdowns to nine interceptions, 24 rushing touchdowns, and an offensive third down percentage of 43.06. And Connor has you for what I was supposed to take, but I'm stupid, for the defensive statistics. And defensively, their third down percentage, their third down percentage is 44.1%. They're giving up 36.45 36.45 points per game, 401 points for, and 356 points against. Uh, turnover differential, they're looking at a minus two, uh, 19 sacks uh, they've recorded. And then offensively, their red zone percentage is 93%, but only a 76% touchdown rate. And then defensively, they have an 88% uh, red zone percentage uh, for scoring. And they are only giving up 57% touchdown rate, though, uh, defensively. So it's actually pretty good. Yeah. So red zone defense, surprisingly strong for this team. But, yeah, if you look at the score lines, they uh, they certainly are going to give up points. And a lot. And what, of- yeah, what is that defensive uh, red zone stats? What, what those tell me is that they are really vulnerable to chunk plays. And they yeah. are just, they're just getting absolutely gashed on the, the big play, which is something that K-State has been surprisingly all right at this year, especially in like the 10 to 20 yard chunks. Uh, Deuce, I think, has like the most 10 yard plays, 10 plus yard plays out of like anyone in the conference or something like that. Because he's very consistently going to over 10 yards. Yeah. So now let's move into the film takeaways. And uh, the number one thing to take away here is, and then you can take offensively their personnel. Above all, no one on this team seems to care about playing anymore. Like towards the beginning of the year, you could tell that they had a, they had a little bit of fire in them. Like they still definitely wanted to play, but every single week since then, they've looked like they wanted to play less and less. And I think the epitome of that was actually the KU game. No one looked like they wanted to be there at the KU game. No one. And that's why they played as much. Like, they put up 56. Don't get me wrong. They still played, but they don't – they just look like the team is lost. Like, they don't want to put in – like, they just don't care anymore, which is one of the worst possible things that a team could do. Because look at K-State last year. Look at K-State towards the end of the year last year. Like, we were awful because no one seemed to really care. Yeah. 
Uh, it was pretty bad last year. Uh, a lot of that was just, I mean, that team, that roster is absolutely decimated by the end of the season. They were barely uh, hitting the minimum to play the games, period. Iowa State, I think they were like one or two away from not being allowed to play. And uh, the same was for Arkansas State. Texas, I know we were pretty low. But I think there's more injury related than COVID at that point. But yeah, Texas, one of the least motivated teams <laughs> I have seen in a while. And it takes an unmotivated team to lose to KU in the fashion that they did because they let KU get out in front of them. Then they come back, take the lead, and then KU rips it out from under them. It's yeah. a hilarity. It's hilarious, honestly. But it's also a little sad because they are very, very talented. They have a ton of raw talent on this team, but they simply just don't care to play. And it's a great uh, example in why effort matters so much in the game of football, especially in college. And they, despite having all these four and five stars, are one of the worst teams in the Big 12. You could make an argument, albeit a shaky one, for being the worst in the conference. I don't think they are, just because if they put in a modicum of effort against KU, they probably win. If they really tried, they win by minimum 20. So we can move into uh, some more of the offensive-specific stuff. Um, unsurprisingly, they're very similar to Alabama's spread system from last year, uh, almost like their head coach coached at Alabama last year. That would be crazy if that were true. <laughs> Yo, that'd be nuts. Uh, not to, it's not a traditional. It would be crazy if Steve Sarkeesian were coaching there, right? But who's to say? Um, it's not the traditional four wide spread offense that you're going to think of. They more often are putting one tight end in the game. They run a lot of pistol and they run a lot of play action. And they just generally have a lot of concepts that are very familiar to the West Coast system. Yeah, which like it's not really particularly surprising coming from Sark, especially the lessons he learned at, at Bama. But uh, we're going to cover the two quarterbacks here. That neither of them may start. We'll get into that later, but it, it could be that we're dealing with an unknown quantity here. But the two quarterbacks that they've been rolling with for the majority of the year are number 11, Casey Thompson, and number one, Hudson Card. In terms of Casey Thompson, his biggest problem is his footwork is really, really bad. And it doesn't even take pressure to make his footwork bad. He was suffering the same problem that, uh, that Carson Wentz had in his last year with the Eagles, that he was really, really pigeon-toeing and just refusing to rotate his body, which, surprisingly enough, can both result in over- and under-throws, which, surprise, surprise, that's Casey's biggest problem with accuracy is not placement, but under- and over-throwing the ball. And, you know, he's a threat to run if he's left alone, but he's not a true, like, option threat. Like he he'll get out of the pocket if there's nothing else to do, but if he's used as an option threat, something has gone really really wrong. I'd, I'd more compared him like Spencer Rattler in that case, but you know Spencer Rattler got a few rushing first downs against us, so <sighs> pain. the The arm strength <laughs> itself that he has is fine. It's nothing special. It's fine. It, it's just his biggest problem is technique. It's just so off in so many areas of his game that it gets like truly difficult to watch sometimes. And then you move in to Hudson Card, who is the freshman quarterback behind Casey Thompson, 
who occasionally just comes in for Casey Thompson because Steve Sarkeesian thinks uh, roster cohesion is a myth. And at the very least, he's not technically atrocious. Like he's, his technique is fine and his physical tools are much better than Thompson's. He's much faster and a better true option threat. And his arm strength is admittedly marginally better, but still better. But where he falls apart is really making his reads. He will quite literally, and I'm not exaggerating, he will stare at the correct decision for like one or two seconds, almost look like he's going to throw it and then say no, and then shake, take the check down. And I, I normally, whenever people say that it's not actually the right decision that's being made, like whenever they're staring at, no, 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 no. It is the correct decision that he stares at, not only because of the play calling concepts that I'm familiar with, but whenever it pans over to Sark, Sark just goes over like, what do you, you, you saw it. And at one point you just got to feel bad for it. But um, despite being technically sound, he's not particularly accurate. And uh, so neither of the quarterbacks are particularly great, but uh, you know, we may not have to deal with either of them because they both might be hurt. And we may have a third quarterback that I think played a little bit during the West Virginia game, but I couldn't watch the West Virginia game. So Bully for me, you have running backs, two tight ends, Connor. Yeah, the quarterback situation is definitely going to be very interesting to follow. Oh, yeah. Because it could be any of the five quarterbacks on the roster. It is truly a mystery. So, <laughs> who's to say? Um, but a running back, this is the position that would have been by far the biggest uh, issue for K State to deal with uh, until Bijan Robinson hurt his elbow and he is out for the season. So now it is going to be number two, Roshan Johnson, and number seven, Keelan Robinson. And without Dijon, there's not a lot of identity to this running back room. There's very little to say about them. Uh, I When you watching the KU game, I watched these two guys run, and they were very stereotypical Texas running backs where they're very strong, they're very raw, but they don't they're, – they're not particularly excellent. Um, they're pretty mediocre. Uh, Broshan is somewhat patient, which is notable, but there's just not a lot to say about any of uh, the remaining running backs uh, that are healthy. Just because Bijan Robinson is just so, so good. And then we, uh, we're left with Roshan Johnson and Keelan Robinson. And they're fine backs. They're totally fine backs, but they're just not special at all. Then we move to wide receiver, though, uh, and there is a special player here. Uh, it's a number eight, Xavier Worthy. He has been absolutely excellent. He's a true freshman, and he's their best offensive player. And uh, the only player that was even remotely close was Bajan, and Bajan's hurt. Uh, <laughs> Xavier Worthy is just absolutely incredible. He is, in terms of receiving yards, he is 600 yards ahead of everybody else on the team. It's it's hilarious, honestly, just like how much better he is. He's very fast. Um, he, he knows how to use his speed and throttle down to create separation uh, from defensive backs and also confuse them. He also has excellent route running for somebody as young as he is. Keep in mind, he is a true freshman, Xavier Worthy. And he also has really good hands. Uh, 
the stat line this year, 57 catches, 933 receiving yards, uh, 16.4 yards per catch, 12 touchdowns. I mean, that's just excellent. 84.8 yards per game. You can't really complain about that. Uh, maybe the only knock on him is he's only 160 pounds, but, you know, Devontae Smith was 160 pounds. He Devontae high, Smith so. better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Xavier Worthy, absolutely incredible. Uh, he had a 260-yard receiving game against the OU this year. He had a late touchdown to put them back in it. And then OU simply said no, and it did not matter. It's that simple. Other than him, <laughs> yeah. yeah, other than him, um, there's really not a lot worth mentioning from the sub-receiver core. Calvante uh, Dixon, he, he can't run routes, number 16. That, that's notable. Uh, number six, Joshua Moore. <laughs> he can handle top shelf uh, passes, but he can't really get off the press. And nobody else really tries. That that's it. That's it. <laughs> Xavier Worthy is the receiver core. Xavier Worthy is the receiver core. Everyone else, if they're wide open, they'll probably catch it. But they don't yeah. really care to get wide open because they know Xavier Worthy will just do that for them. So yeah. And and then that takes us to tight end number eighty, Cade Brewer. He is an all right blocker who has upside as a receiver, but he has very very inconsistent hands. Uh, other than that, he's very, very physical. Uh, quote the name of his game in all parts, uh, and then he's also very experienced. He is a fifth-year senior, so he has that going for him, and he's been consistently pretty solid throughout his whole career. But that makes it sound like Texas is very untalented. It's not true. Like we mentioned in the beginning. They just are not motivated. And Xavier Worthy is the only person that is playing like he's motivated. But spoiler alert, we have discovered that he is actually not motivated. He's just insanely good. And he's not really trying, but it doesn't matter. I'd say on most plays, he's giving about like anywhere from 65 to 80% effort. And like granted, the Oklahoma game was him with 100% effort. But still, like, my God, <laughs> I it's ridiculous. But moving in to the offensive line, I just got the injury report for the Saints. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> AK, Mark Ingram, and Ramchek all out with knees. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I just changed my fantasy lineups now. <laughs> yeah. It's two weeks in a row that Kamara has been, like, about to go. And then, like, last. And then just like not like changing out. That's tough. Yeah. But time for my favorite part of every preview episode, the offensive line. Let's start with our left tackle, number 70, Christian Jones, who I would define as pretty much just a solid player. He's not great, but pretty generally solid. He has really strong hands and a really solid kick slide and pass protection. So he's technically sound, pretty strong. And, you know, he's he's not the best left tackle that we've seen this year. That still belongs to the Baylor left tackle, and the best right tackle is TCU's right tackle, which uh, both names are escaping me, but both were seriously. Coker's TCU. Coker. Andrew Coker is TCU's right tackle. Um, but, yeah, I there's really not much to say. Christian Jones is a solid left tackle, which, you know, solid left tackles are admittedly rare to come by. 
<clears throat> Number 75 is their left guard, Junior Angelau. He's a downright violent run blocker, which is like surprising that he's as violent as he is given this team's motivation problem. And he will try and shoulder check you before getting his hands on. But, you know, it's his size and speed that really makes it work because it knocks you off balance. Whenever someone who knew when a guy that's like 310 pounds shoulder techs you, you move. Who would have figured that one out? <laughs> that's, a, that's a mystery solved for me. I would have never guessed. <laughs> then there, center, number 65, Jake Majors. He's probably the one, at least he seems to be the one responsible for calling protections and blocking schemes, not the quarterback. And he doesn't do a bad job of it on paper. It's just everyone sort of loses their rep. Like they get in the right place. It's just then they lose in the right place, which is better than like losing in the wrong place, I guess. But uh, his biggest downfall in blocking is that he gets very grabby, especially if you try and take him from anywhere but head on. He'll try and wrap his arm around you. So he basically tries hugging you on most reps and he just doesn't get called for it because he's a center and he's in the middle of the garbage of the offensive line. So no one cares. <clears throat> then the right guard is number 67, my old number, uh, Tope Amade. He's pretty solid in his quickness when pulling, and he certainly is never really late to his lane. But uh, in run blocking, he's very good at creating angles that are lose-lose for the defender. Pass blocking, eh, it's not really his thing. He's more of a run blocker, like a true run blocker, both in zone and power, which Texas runs both, though they prefer power. Then finally, the right tackle, number 68, Derek Kerstetter. Kerstetter. He's kind of odd in the way that he runs blocks, given that he always looks coiled, which is really weird because like he's still constantly, like even after he gets the hit, he looks like his shoulders are like slumped into his body and his spine is always like curved at a weird angle. Maybe he has scoliosis. I don't know. But uh, he has a massive problem with oversetting to the inside and pass protection. So uh, Nate Matlick, now's your time. And he generally looks pretty sluggish in everything that he does. And his best quality is definitely his hand strength, but everything else is pretty severely lacking. So in terms of offensive line, I, I wouldn't say this is one of the best offensive lines that we face, but it's certainly not the worst. I'd put it below Baylor and Oki States. I'd probably put it at like third and maybe fourth if you're counting Andrew Coker is the entire offensive line at TCU, but yeah, they're, they're a solid group. And now you have defensive alignment and defensive linemen. Yeah. Defensively, this is a three, three, five will alignment team. They're going to be very similar to Baylor in the way that they align, but they will play with five on the line. They enjoy two high safety looks. So Ace will not be forced to look at the three high as much. So and count your lucky stars. Uh, <laughs> although they will occasionally have a safety roll down into a robber or hold fender roll. Uh, they really like sending heat from a lot of different angles. It could be from the outside. It could be from interior gap. They like to mix it up. Uh, and then they also, uh, they run a lot of match quarters, their favorite coverage, but they also like to run some true man to man. Um, and then we move on to the defensive line. Uh, they have a bit of rotation here. They're all very, very large people. Uh, number 99, Keandre Coburn. Uh, he is 
a dime a dozen nose tackle. He is if if he were to tell an AI to create a nose tackle, it would be Keandre Coburn. <laughs> yeah, it would be Siaki so Yuka, totally but fine. this guy's close. He's close. <laughs> oh Siaki Yuka. But yeah, uh, Mr. Coburn, giant human being, six two, three hundred and forty six pounds. That is an old lord he coming. <laughs> uh, he he is he's big. He's all right against the run. He's not a very good pass rusher, though. So, uh, actually, he's quite bad at pass rushing. Uh, and then we can move on to number ninety-eight, Moro Ojomo. He has a very solid rip move when rushing from the five tech, and he also knows how to lock the tackle's arm into a bad spot and forces holds, or he just ends up winning the rip because of that. So he's a very smart defensive lineman, and that's going to be something that we're going to look out for. But again, one of those really, really large individuals. I cannot find him on the roster for despite all of my efforts. There he is. He's 6'3", 286. And <laughs> bouncing him, just a very big guy. And then number 95, Alfred Collins. He is the, uh, the end of the trio here at the defensive line. He's not a very good pass rusher, though. Uh, if you eliminate his initial burst of energy, he he's kind of done. Like he'll, he'll give you the uh, the once over, but he really won't try beyond that. Uh, now he's not very strong. Uh, that, that's the main reason for that. Uh, and then his lack of pass rush is really strange, considering he has very quick hands. But he just is kind of a non-factor in that regard. Then again, another big guy, 6'5", 302. So really big defensive line. Yeah. And their defensive line is like, it's a solid group, especially in run defense, but pass rush, that, that's how I'd sum them up. But in terms of linebackers, this is a group that you can talk a little bit about, mostly due to the fact that technically their pass rushers are linebackers. Or I think it's, the, I think they have the same defensive system as, um, as Baylor. So they have like star and Jack defenders and it's, it, it, it's just an outside linebacker. They're just outside linebackers. Stop it. Uh, <laughs> but on the whole, most of them are just kind of dog water in run defense, like in part because they're not even remotely close to being gap sound. They just kind of play really fast and get okay angles, but because they are fast, that's all that really matters because they're just faster than you. So they'll just catch up to you. But uh, they're also all very bad against play action and RPOs, getting sucked really, really far down, which, again, makes them uniquely bad matchups against, like, say, West Virginia, who, surprise, surprise, beat them. But in terms of specific players, number zero, DeMarvion Overshone, was their interception leader last year. And it's not hard to see why. Like, he's surprisingly good in coverage, not even for, like, linebacker standards where you have to, like, temper your expectations because 98% of linebackers on earth suck in coverage. No, he's like, he's just good. Like he's legitimately just good in coverage, which is weird to think about, but he understands the concepts of leverage over the middle, which is something that um, the linebacker Vikings, Eric Kendricks, Eric Kendricks understands really well. And that's why he's always been such a coverage threat. And he's a solid tackler. But his biggest weakness is the weakness of all linebackers getting sucked into the trash on the run. So, again, like a motor player, very fast, very good coverage linebacker. 
And then a name I have no shot at pronouncing, number 18, Ovi Aguafu. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Like he's especially terrible at getting off his blocks, even from tight ends, not known for blocking. So, for example, Charlie Kolar, who is the definition of a receiving tight end, consistently handled Ovi here. Though, admittedly, he's not really horrible in coverage, especially in the principles of covering people and not grass in zone coverage, which is something we harp on a lot. Um, Number 41, Jalen Ford. He's not the most sound tackler, and he struggles to truly wrap up. Number 46, Ray Thornton is likely their best run defender when he's on the line, and he's a really, really solid seal and force inside defender. Off the line, his pursuit angles get kind of iffy, and if he's asked to pass rush, it is kind of funny because he just gets tossed around, but he's trying his best. (laughs) Now you have defensive backs. Yeah, so defensive backs. The very first note that we have on this illustrious group is that none of them can tackle. <laughs> they, they're all bad at it. Definitely can't tackle in the open field. Paige and Deuce Vaughn. Uh, however, uh, despite what that may sound like, they're all very athletic. Like they're very, very, very athletic, which makes sense as Texas. They're getting great athletes and proceeding to do absolutely nothing with them. Uh, they play a lot of match or man because of the fact because of the athleticism that they bring to the table and uh, that, that takes advantage of their athleticism. They're also, they're good for two to three, just utter destructions of coverage in a game. Like without a, without a doubt, like two to three times per game, it's over for their coverage. It does not matter. Uh, and most of their corners, they play bail technique with inside leverage. Um, and then now breaking routes, are their weakest to cover by far uh, as our hitches. It's going to be immediately obvious whether Deshaun Jameson is blitzing or if he is not. Uh, and then he doesn't really bother to line himself up properly uh, when he is blitzing. Um, but he's a very good coverage guy, uh, pretty much the only good coverage guy. And number 28, Jaron Thompson, uh, he – is also a really big hitter from the safety position, and that's about all he has going for him. Yeah. So basically their defensive back room is made up of freaky athletes who are good in man coverage, not because they're particularly technically sound, but because they're just more athletic than you. So, like, I can't teach speed. Uh, <laughs> the old adage. Yeah, that, that's true. You cannot teach speed. But they, they are incredibly fast, incredibly athletic. You cannot you cannot teach that, but they also don't teach them anything. <laughs> yeah. So now let's get into stories to watch going into the game. I feel like this episode is running a tad bit shorter than usual, so maybe we'll have to take thirty five minutes on the stories. To watch. <laughs> yeah. So, so. First question. Yeah. yeah. Please no. <laughs> the first question is: How lost is Texas exactly? Like, meaning that they how do they care at all? Like, do they even show up to play after losing any shot of ball eligible? Thanks for answering. (laughs) Good answer. Let's go home. (laughs) No, 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 they do not. I mean, Texas, there's generally some form of apathy on this team. Like Casey Thompson and Hudson Card, uh, neither of them are Sam Ellinger. 
And Sam Ellinger, if nothing else, was a very good motivator, along with being a pretty solid bulldozer. And Casey Thompson, Hudson Carr, they're just not the leaders that this team needs. And it's very obvious because they, like, we, we've said it a lot, they just don't act like they particularly care on the field. So I, I they're very lost to answer the question directly. Yeah. Uh, Sark has a lot of work to do. Yeah. So uh, you can. Yeah, I'll go and ask you to follow up. Sick. Uh, do they even show up to play after losing any shot of bull eligibility? I'm not sure they do, because like, I, because I, they barely showed up to play against KU, and they still had a shot at bowl eligibility then, and they were playing KU. I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, this team was already acting like they didn't want to be there, and they now have absolutely nothing to play for. So, I. I, I doubt they show up. Uh, they might, but I wouldn't count on it. And, and even them not showing up, that doesn't mean that they're going to be a complete and utter pushover just because they are so athletic. You have to count on that at least. So, yeah. So the next question, does K-State bounce back from a bad loss and losing their starting QB against a ranked Baylor team? Uh, I really hope so, because if you ever need a game to help break in a backup QB or ease an injured quarterback back into uh, playing, it is this Texas team. Maybe the only other good option is KU. Uh, but I think I think the Cats do bounce back in this one, assuming Skyler or Will is the starter. Jaron's a different story. But, I don't know, there's a very clear and obvious path to victory against this Texas team. In fact, I'd say there are multiple paths to victory against this Texas team. And we need only take one. In fact, we can even kind of take two if we really feel like it. But basically, their defense does not worry me particularly much. If the offensive line can control we will be content getting five yards of carry all day long. And I, I think that'll be the story of the game. Can our offensive line uh, win at the line of scrimmage consistently? I think the answer to that question is yes. And you have the next question towards me. Yeah. Um, who is going to start at quarterback for K-State? We kind of touched on it a little bit, but who do you think? I personally think that this is another TCU game last year situation where Clemen knows damn well that Skyler is not going to be playing and he's just preparing Will as much as he can. But Will has looked better except for the SIU game. Like even in the game where his statistics weren't good at all, the OSU game, he still looked fine. He just had to deal with a lot of drops and that's not something he can control. But uh, something that I want to watch is if it is indeed Will, which is Kleiman said that if it's not Skyler, it will be Will. Thank God. But, you know, Will Howard revenge game? Will Howard revenge game. I'm here for Will Howard revenge game. Yeah, I think it'll be Will as well. Uh, with 
the next best odds going to Skyler. And because I do think it's more likely that Skyler's okay in this scenario than from the one last year. I definitely think Skyler, if nothing else, will be healthy for the bowl game. I would be very surprised if he misses his last shot at a dub in a K-State uniform. Uh, but Will Howard is currently my uh, pick for QB1 on Friday. Um, I sincerely hope it is not Jaron Lewis. I will gouge my eyes out if it is. And I personally would have rather just run single wing with Max Marsh. <laughs> send Sharon out there to throw to throw a pick on a two yard drag. So that, that is what I would prefer. Like Jaron has it's frustrating because he has so much he has so much arm talent, but it's just so so inconsistent. Like yeah. no accuracy, like no control at all. He has a really good arm. He throws a really pretty deep ball, but we'd never trust him to throw it. So no. Uh, the question for you, who even starts at quarterback for Texas? Because Casey and Card are both supposedly hurt and have yet to practice this week. We're recording this on uh, Tuesday, November 23rd, so it'll come out tomorrow. Maybe the news will break that Casey Thompson and Hudson Card are both healthy and will both look stupid. But who? what's the plan here? I think they'll roll with Casey if it has to go between one of these two. Um, from what I've heard, he is the slightly more healthy of the two of them, which isn't saying particularly much, but he is healthy for at least based off what I've heard. That could be totally off base. But it is also just as possible that Stark chooses to just shut them down for the rest of the season and just roll with the third string, who I am not exactly sure who their third string guy is, but I would not hate it if they rolled with uh some random dude. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure who it would be, but that's honestly not the worst outlook for them. They'd probably get a better effort out of whoever it is. Allegedly, it's Ben Ballard is their third string. Allegedly. Okay. Who? Well, well, if he <laughs> rolls, then... Who? <laughs> yeah. So, you have next question towards me. Uh, yeah. Can K-State contain Mr. Xavier Worthy. Contain is a very harsh word. I would say make sure he does not break the game open is more accurate. Because, you know, if they're dealing with a third string quarterback, who's going to throw to him? But even if you get someone who just says it, eh, screw it, he's down there somewhere, he has a good chance of coming down with it. But I'd, I'd say it's just, contain no I don't think we're going to do what we did to Quentin Johnston against him and Quentin Johnston is a monstrously talented receiver in his own right but Xavier Worthy is just better than he is in just about every way I think maybe Johnston can jump higher marginally but yeah I did just make sure he doesn't bust the game wide open for passing that should be the goal yeah I'm kind of with you on that um, I don't expect the defense to totally be able to contain Xavier Worthy uh, just because he is that good. But if we can hold him to, honestly, no touchdowns is a win in my book, I think, for Xavier yeah. Worthy. If, if we can just keep him from the end zone, like, I don't care how many yards he gets as long as he does not step foot in the end zone. Yeah. So – 
Will K-State's receivers be able to separate from the Uber athletes Texas has at defensive backs? So, which will win, athleticism or route running? Um, I think it's going to be a mix of both. Because I think you're going to see some effort reps from Texas defensive backs. But you're also going to see them just not try at all occasionally. And I, I think K-State, they're not going to – I'm not saying that they're going to have some incredible uh, day receiving the ball and just, like, get, like, 500 receiving yards against Texas. They could, honestly. Depending on effort, they totally could. Like, Cade Warner 200 bomb. <laughs> but – um, I, I think K-State honestly wins more routes or more plays than not against the Texas defensive backs, which I think if this game is mid-season, I have a different take. But considering Texas and K-State are in flipped positions from where they were in the game last year, where Texas, they had something to prove. Tom Herman was fighting for his life. It did not matter. And... Uh, K-State was just depleted and just simply did not care anymore. And Texas is now in the position of K-State from last year and vice versa. Because we're in a position where we could either have a 7-6 and six record or we could have a 9-4 and four record. And 9-4 and four sounds a lot better than 7-6. and six. So we have that to fight for at minimum. And we're also looking towards the future. Uh, and the coaches, they're trying to impress recruits, show them that they are improving. And they could walk out of the season with their best record uh, at K-State so far. Absolutely. So I guess that takes us to our final question. Yep. Um, It kind of echoes the previous question, which is what wins out, effort or talent? I'm going to be that corny guy in the locker room and say work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. I know exactly who I'm talking about, and you can probably guess who I'm talking about as well. But <laughs> just just picture our high school football team, and you know who exactly it is. Um, uh, I'll tell you after, if you just to verify. But yeah, I honestly think that K State just okay. because they have something to play for, just because they have something to play for here, they're they're going to like honestly smack Texas because Texas is infinitely more time. Like if you're looking at like an NCAA 14 roster, this is a Texas roster that would just spank K-State in any simulation, which is why if you look at advanced analytics and stats, which by the way, hashtag ace hates numbers, because that's a thing. <laughs> it's really yeah. I hate numbers. Hate them. Can't stand them. But, uh, yeah, I think effort wins out over talent. How about you? I honestly do as well, mainly because there is such a borderline historic lack of effort from Texas on this team. I mean, it's it's borderline sad. If it, if it wasn't Texas, I'd feel bad, honestly. <laughs> like, Because there's so much talent on this roster. They are littered with incredible athletic talent. But... It simply does not matter at all. And K-State is not untalented, and they are going to put out a great effort on Black Friday on one of the uh, larger stages in college football. And I, I think effort wins out. Yeah, it's a little corny, but it's also true. In this case, 
like that's not always true, but K State is talented enough on in their own right to where modicums of effort will be enough. Yeah. So now let's get into projected offensive and defensive MVPs. I'll start for the offensive side. It's we're putting Deuce back on the table because we literally don't know who else it could be. But uh, I I'm picking Deuce. I'm also picking Deuce because I think it's obvious. Yeah, he will destroy that entire secondary. He did it last year against the team when we didn't yeah. care. That's what he did. Yeah. Deuce had arguably his best game as a Wildcat running the football over 30 points. So I fully expect him to have just as good of a day because Texas is just a worse team than they were last year. So I am looking forward to watching Deuce on Friday. Absolutely. Then defensively, I have King, Felix, and Edike Uzama for defensive MVP, mostly because their offensive line is not as good as Baylor's, and it's only marginally better than TCU's. And look at what he did against TCU's line. Yeah, uh, I totally get it. And I would say, Felix, I think he is going to get the elusive uh, 12th sack of the year that he has been trying to get, but just has not been able to get home because he's being triple teamed to oblivion. Well, not even oblivion, he's beating it. <laughs> uh, it's just not enough. Defensively, I'm going to roll with Russ East uh, just because he has been incredible the uh, last few weeks. So I think that he's going to I think he's gonna come out in his last uh, game as a Wildcat or second to last game as a Wildcat. And I, I think he's going to have an excellent performance. I think that he's going to be a ball hawk in the middle of the secondary. I think he'll get it one interception, at least one uh, pass breakup, because uh, the quarterback situation is so dicey right now in Texas. So I'm looking forward to see what rest of you can do. Yeah, absolutely. Now for the moment, everyone has been waiting for the score projections. I am still conscientiously objecting because I refuse to make myself look like an idiot as much as I did for like five weeks in a row. But it should be a victory for the Kansas State Wildcats if it is Skyler or Will playing, if it's Jaron, we may have issues, but I don't think it will be. But since it should be either one of them, I think it'll be a pretty comfortable Cats victory. I came up with three score projections based on the three most likely starting quarterbacks. This is not an order of likelihood. This is just an uh, in, in order of biggest margin of victory to smallest. Uh, if it's Skyler, I think it's 38-17 Cats. I think we roll. Uh, I think he dices up their secondary and Deuce has a field day. And then I also have uh, Mr. Willie Howitzer, big William Howard. I think we win 27-17 uh, if he is the guy. And then I think uh, if Jaron starts, I have us losing 24-17. I think Jaron throws a pick six in that game. So. I, I don't think Texas will break uh, 20 points uh, without help from us. So, yeah. I also just realized that if we win this game, we can finally bring back that you have just lost to Big Willie Howitzer Lamau. We can bring it back. <laughs>
if Will starts, I will have my finger on the trigger with that, ready to post like all day long. So it will be before stop. So hoping for a great posted. performance from from William. <laughs> oh, I I've missed Style Boys. It hasn't been that long. It's I been just, a week, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like it has not been long. I, I do miss it. I just simply would wish that we just go undefeated, so we could post it every week. Simple. It's that Including easy. It'll be next year. It'll be next year. <laughs> next year. Yeah, that pretty much concludes everything that we have to say against Texas. They're a very talented team who does not seem to care anymore. And uh, we will be taking bets on whether Sark gets fired at the end of this year. In fact, we may have launched this episode with a poll saying, <laughs> do you think Sark survives the year? Uh, let's get our answers in for us. Uh, no. <laughs> I think it's unlikely unless we absolutely destroy them and one Texas booster is willing to put up the buyout because they're already paying Herman's buyout and they're going to have to pay uh, some big 12 exit fees probably. And then they'd also be paying Sark's buyout, which is very high. I think it's like 24 million or something like that, which is absolutely insane. And, uh, I, I don't think they do it simply because of financial reasons, because even Texas has financial limits. So. Yeah. But that wraps up this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast. If you want to contact us, we are at Aggieville A Cats on Twitter. That's capital A, capital A, and capital C in cats. If you want to email us, we are Aggieville Alley Cats at gmail.com. And if you want to follow us on a more personal note, I am at acedward00 on Twitter. I'm at Connor Balthazor, capital C, capital B. If you want to support the show financially, please be sure to check out our merchandise store where we have such designs such as Neon Alley Cats and Play Sandstorm Cowards. But most importantly, thank you all for listening to this episode of the Aggieville Alley Cats podcast, where come rain, shine, or anything in between, we're here to deliver to you the Kansas State sporting news that you so love. Stay safe, Alley Cats.